today's scripture comes from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. Hear these words. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Thank you so much, Mark. You may be seated. Enrique, if you'll grab my podium, that would be excellent. Or Derek. Um, uh, we are beginning a new series this morning called Measures. And you will see in just a moment what uh, the series is about. Uh, we at Grace have some statements that guide us, that help us to do what we do. Thank you, uh, gentlemen. And... Uh, as we look at these statements, uh, some of you have seen them, and, and then the measures are new. Um, and, and so let me just kind of cut to the chase here and check the screen out. Uh, so our mission at Grace, uh, let's see, can we make that bigger on the screen there? And uh, is to exalt Christ, see him transform lives, and embrace our community. And so you're going to see this like a frame. Uh, in this frame uh, forms for us the picture of what we believe God has called us to be here at Grace as church. Uh, that is our mission. Uh, you will see next our values. Uh, Jesus over everything, heart change that leads to life change, and others before ourselves. Regardless of what year it is or what circumstances we face, those are our values. Our strategy. This is how we believe people come to know and grow. Uh, discover God primarily through worship, belong primarily through a life group, serve here at Grace, and go everywhere else. And you saw some of those things in our annual report. And then the final piece of the framework that we've been working on, we call our measures. And we believe that a follower of Christ looks up, looks across, looks in or inward, looks around, and looks out. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at those five measures, and we'll spell each measure out in further detail. And the measure for today is looks up to God daily. That's the measure, looks up to God daily. It is no uh, a lie that everything has changed and even the thought of returning to a, or going to a new normal seems to be a stretch. Perhaps the phrase, a new reality. But one of the things that has not changed is God's call on us as a church. His mission, the mandate he has given us is not diminished. It is not lessened. It is uh, not diluted. It remains to exalt Christ, see him change lives, and send us out into a community who needs him. That community being here, being around the world, that is what God has called us to do. 
And here in the letter of Hebrews, and all of our sermons for this series will come from Hebrews, here in the letter of Hebrews, in the written, uh, uh, scholars believe by a pastor, we discover this reality that you and I get to come into the presence of God. And so I'm just going to draw three simple statements, but profound results. The first, since we have confidence, since we have confidence, the word confidence means cheerful courage. Confidence to do what? To come into the very presence of God. Now, one of the difficulties that you have as you sit and listen to this is that you in your history or in our history as a people, we do not, cannot think of a time when you couldn't enter God's presence. Maybe in your personal history, you think of when you didn't know Christ and you couldn't enter his presence, but you don't think of a time like that. Yet this audience, this book is called the he, called Hebrews because it's written to Jews. And this, these Jewish believers knew about a time and a place. The place, the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was in the temple, and it was behind a nine-inch thick curtain. There in the Holy of Holies was the presence and the glory of God in its fullness. Once a year, one man entered. The high priest entered once a year, and when he entered... He did not go in with cheerful courage. He entered with fearful dread. He dreaded it so badly that he wore a, 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 a garment that had bells on the bottom that should he have any undealt with sin, he knew he would die in there. And the people on the other side of that curtain would no longer hear the bells move on his garment. And when that happened, there was a rope attached to his leg by which they could drag him out because indeed his sin had resulted in his death. This audience knows that. And this pastor looks at those people to whom he is writing and says, you get to go behind the curtain. You get to go into the presence of God. But you and I, we, we don't quite get that. So I'll make the case from the scripture for why it matters and why it is so significant. It was uh, probably four weeks ago, I'm working from home that day, I'm upstairs, I have a little office that's just perched up there in what used to be an attic space. 
And so I've worked there more than ever uh, in, in the last year. And so I'm in my office. Wendy was baking, but she had gone into the front of the house when I hear somebody's voice. And it isn't Wendy's. And I don't recognize it. So I leave, come down the steps, go to the kitchen. And when I do, I discover a strange woman is standing in our house. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, can I help you? She said, I'm looking for donuts. I mean cinnamon rolls. I said, okay, did you order some? She said, no. I said, all right, so you just want to come by and get some? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, my wife, you know, she bakes to order. Um, uh, we don't kind of sell them like that, you know. But she said, well, some friends of mine and I, and she pointed outside and I looked and there they stood. She had brought them. And they're standing, they're kind of sprawled out in the, in, uh, spread out in the backyard, and there they stand. And she said, we came to Old Fort, somebody said, we could find cinnamon rolls, we've asked all around town, and they sent us to you. <laughs> and I said, all right. So Wendy comes back in, and I said, honey, this woman's looking for some cinnamon rolls. Well, as it turned out, Wendy had a cancellation, she had a dozen. Wendy iced them up real fast, handed them to the woman, and she left. Wendy looked at me and said, who was that? I said, I don't know. She just came in our house, uninvited. She said, what in the world? I said, exactly. Who else is going to end up here? You know, what was so interesting to observe, when I looked out, I realized that all of them wanted a cinnamon roll, but that woman was the only one with enough guts to walk in the back door. Like they had coached her up. You could tell. And, and she was the one like, I'm going in, right? This here is so much more than walking into somebody's house uninvited. So how is it that for years in Israel's history, one man out of millions can go into one man out of millions, can go into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer sacrifice for the sins of people. But you and I can go every day, all day. Number two, because of what Jesus did. Because of what Jesus did. We have confidence by the blood of Jesus, the writer says. Now, a couple fascinating words here. By the new and living way. You read that just at first glance and go, new and living way. But then I went to digging into the language, and the word new means freshly killed, lately slaughtered. Isn't that ironic? by the freshly killed, lately slaughtered, living way. What? What does that mean? It's Jesus. Encapsulated in this phrase is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He is the new, the freshly slaughtered sacrifice 
but he is also the living way. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So how did he do it? He opened the way. He, past tense, inaugurated the way through the curtain, that nine-inch thick curtain. So track with me here. Mark 15, 37, 38, 39. And Jesus uttered a loud cry. He's on the cross and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, meaning no man could do this. And when the centurion, that soldier, stood facing Jesus, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. We find here a surprising reality of who Jesus is. And it is one that I never realized before I prepared, and so I will assume that most of you have never seen him like this too. And I would say to you, one of my greatest joys is in any way I can to show Christ, is to just unveil him. And so here he is described as going through the curtain, which is his flesh. Well, what does this pastor writer of Hebrews mean? That Jesus' flesh is the curtain. Let's talk about that for a moment. So that curtain had a distinct function. It was protective. On one side of it is the holiness of an untouchable God. If there isn't a curtain and people approach, they'll die because he is holy and we are sinful. So the curtain then protects. How is it then that Jesus' flesh is that curtain? Jesus was the God-man. No one has been ever lived like him before, nor ever will again. He was 100% God and 100% man. He was so much man that he fell asleep from fatigue on the boat. He was so much God that when the disciples woke him because of the storm, he simply spoke, and the winds and the seas obeyed him. He was so much man that he became hungry. He was so much God that he took a little boy's lunch of fish and bread and turned it into enough to feed 5,000 men plus the women and children. He was the man God. He was so much man that when he arrived at Bethany, having heard the news that his beloved friend Lazarus had died, Jesus wept. 
He was so much God that he stepped over to the tomb where Lazarus was buried, simply spoke Lazarus's name, and Lazarus came out of that tomb alive. Jesus was the man God. So how did he then become, or how was he this curtain? Jesus, on one side as God, touched the holiness of God, touched everything behind the veil. But on the other side, just like that curtain did, he touched the dredges of humanity. He touched your sin and mine. He touched you where you're at your worst. He touched you where you need him most. He came into contact with the adulterous woman and told her to go and sin no more. He encountered the demoniac and cast out the demons and that man went away different than he met Jesus. He was this curtain between a holy, sinless, righteous, perfect God and between a sinful and needy humanity. And aren't you glad? Wow. So when he died, when Jesus died, his flesh was ripped in two. And at that point, God and man co-mingled as they never had before. Now, what we discover here is that Jesus was the curtain. And since we have a great high priest, and he was the sacrifice. He was all of it. We don't need a high priest we don't need a temple. We don't need the Holy of Holies. We have Jesus. He's every bit of it. All. All. Barclay says someone might be able to direct a tourist who asks the way to Buckingham Palace and yet be very far from having the right to take that person into the presence of the queen but Jesus can take us the whole way. So what do we do? You draw near. Let us draw near with cheerful courage. Shoulders back, smile on your face, and walk into the presence. No need to put bells on the garment just in case. No need to be afraid, worried. You're in. You say, Jerry, what does that mean? Let us draw near with a true heart. Well, what what is a true heart? Oh, you, you say... I've got to dot my I's, cross my T's. No, 
No. A believing heart. That's it. Do you believe? Do you trust Christ? Do you trust that Jesus was all he said he was? Do you trust that he is the way and the truth and the life? That's it. You don't have to clean yourself up. You, you don't have to figure it all out. No. You just come. You just come in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, Ezekiel, God through Ezekiel called this. Listen to what he writes in Ezekiel 36. And he writes this of Israel when they are in exile. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I love this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jeremiah, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. I love this. And I will remember their sin no more. Wow. So what does this mean? It means that this morning, somewhere around five, when the alarm went off and I grabbed a cup of coffee and I went and sat in my rocking chair, I didn't have to brush my teeth, fix my hair, what little bit I got, didn't have to do that. That I have a father who was waiting. And he said, Come close. And lest there be fear, I have a big brother who is in his presence ever pleading my case. Sticking up for me. Saying, he's ours. I bought him. I covered him. And for that reason, there shouldn't be a day pass but what I don't draw near. Amen? I, I should, I get to with cheerful courage with my shoulders back 
with a smile on my face, make my voice heard and sit in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords covered and clean I went to Wofford College, a small school in Spartanburg, and did something that I never thought I'd do. I became president of the student body my senior year. In high school, I was a total nerd, so none of that stuff. But at Wofford, I became that. And by default, was to attend, had no say at all. The board of trustees meetings, and dinners. And I remember when all of that went down and the board was coming, I was a work-study student and they sat me down in my office and they said, we need to talk. And I said, okay, what is it? And they said, "Um, the board meeting's coming up. Yes, it is. What do you have to wear? I was a poor kid, but I owned a decent suit, so I was good on that front. They said, uh, no offense, but you don't know how to eat. Well, I'd been eating for 22 years. And I knew how to eat, but not like that. And so they sat me down, and they put a plate in front of me. And they put more utensils than I'd ever seen around one plate. Like I had no clue that you needed that much stuff to eat with. Where I grew up, you pretty much needed a fork. And most times, we just cut things with the side of it. So there was all kinds of stuff. And so they walked me through all of it. Still remember, just walked me through. Here's how to eat. And so I tried to memorize how to eat. And they said, now you're going to the Palmetto Club. That's where the board dinner is. And it's an elite place. And so now that you know how to eat, we need to tell you how to talk. Like, I know how to talk. I've been talking for 22 years. And they say, well, we know. And you say way more than you ever should when you get carried away. And they said, should one Roger Milliken invite you over? He has a habit of that. He owns all of Milliken Industries. And he gives lots of money to the college. And should he invite you over to his table, you just eat and shut up. And I still remember sitting there that night, big round table. I'm doing my dead level best, thinking, is that dessert? And what's this for? And hoping nobody's watching. And then I got carried away talking, saying things I shouldn't. So much so that one of the VPs literally kicked me underneath the table. My cue to shut up. Do you know what was interesting about that is that I never felt at home around that table. I was always on my peace cues. Always. But not with God. You don't have to know flowery prayers, which fork to use. 
you don't have to word things just right. Just draw near. For us, one of the five measures of a follower of Christ at Grace is that you daily look up to God. Daily. Look up to him. Charlotte Elliott, you guys know I love hymns, love hymns, became a hymn writer. Later, she at first was a, a poet who wrote humorous poetry in the late 1700s, early 1800s, and then she had an accident that rendered her incapable of moving and in those days, just didn't have all the technology to make that good. Thankfully, she was mentored by a godly pastor, a Swiss pastor who was also a hymn writer. And he said, why don't you take this gift of writing and, and turn it into work that you can do wherever you are. So in 1834, one evening when she could not accompany her friends to church, and she was feeling a bit forlorn about it. She sat down and wrote a hymn. It, it had to be somewhat autobiographical because to be crippled was to be labeled. But Charlotte Elliott could not have had any idea that a century later, plus, an evangelist would grab that hymn along with George Beverly Shea, and thousands would walk down an aisle, tens of thousands, and trust Jesus while singing, just as I am. Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Oh, Miss Charlotte had no clue. just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot O Lamb of God I come just as I am thou wilt receive will welcome pardon cleanse, and cleanse me because thy promise I believe trusted Christ as your Savior. This altar is open. Come to Him. The God-man who ripped down the curtain who says, come to me all who are weary 
and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest this morning if you are watching online. I extend this invitation to you if you have never trusted Christ. Oh, you don't have to have dreamt up some amazing prayer. Just come. Just come to him. Let's stand. Let's sing. He waits. He invites. Come to him.
One is, um, some of you I know have gotten this reading between the lines by Scrivener. It's a great Devo. If you need some help in your time with the Lord, it is so good. We have some copies in the next steps. David Grindstaff is there. If you'd like to purchase one, feel free. Lexi Zani has wrote her life group lesson this week, for this week. And she says this, you can focus on drawing nearer by leaving some things. There are distracting things in our lives, aren't there? And so you may have to walk away from things before you can walk toward God. So do that. This is the season of Lent. Find a specific time every day to draw close to God. And doesn't he say, draw near to me and I'll do what? Draw near to you. Let me just strongly encourage you with that this week. Adrian.